Damn, but I will say, the second I said hot dogs, y'all fucking judging me. <laughs> oh, Did you lose your goddamn mind? I'm either gonna drink to be happy or drink to be sad, but either way, we're drinking. I'm gonna drink. I'll take you guys to New Jersey as a matter. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It is a smoky day here in East Palo Alto from all the Santa Rosa area in Northern California wildfires. Uh, my heart goes out to all those guys um, that lost everything and that are dealing with it right now. We're dealing with some of the uh, some of the ash and smoke that's uh, flying down in here, and it's kind of super hazy outside and kind of weird. Um, my guest this episode was my friend John McRae. He is uh, working in tech in uh, virtual reality. Uh, he also worked in uh, some other um, companies a while ago for a, some kind of computer startups. I Honestly, I forget exactly what. He'll probably correct me. Um, super smart guy. A super fun conversation. We had some great beers. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, music um, and their subgenres and kind of what influences that subgenre and where you know its birth pa- place might have you know come from uh, of that you know that subgenre. Um, super fun conversation. Uh, always enjoyed talking to John. It was great to be able to sit down and actually have a really uh, lengthy conversation with him because I think when I usually just talk to him it's about you know you know in passing here and there for about five minutes real fast and he's kind of like oh I'm working on this and working on that and then I'm like oh cool I gotta check it out you know blah 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 but but yeah so um this is gonna be the conversation uh, that we had so uh enjoy Hey, hey, what's up? Welcome to the podcast. My guest today, my friend John McRae. What's up, John? Yo. How's everything going? It's another beautiful day in paradise. It certainly is. It's a little warm out there right now, but it's actually not terribly warm. It's definitely more comfortable than that one week we had. It's crazy. Crazy. Um, so, okay... Got my settings going good. And just to get out of that. So yeah, I was making those beats, you know, randomly. And I have to make like... I usually try to do two because I'll play a different one for the next round. So I, you know, I, I kind of been like working on the music of just messing around. So nice. uh, first things first, let's pop this beer, which is... Reading it, so it's a double IPA. My favorite. And it's called Mainstream Pop Song. And I believe it's brewed and canned by Overshore's Brewing Company in East Haven, Connecticut. For Stillwater uh, Arsenal. Or Artisanal. What the fuck this is? What is that? What am I having It's a little East Coast yeah. double IPA. What does that word say? How would you pronounce that? I can't read it. It's a small font. Oh, 
artisanal. Artisanal. It's one so of those fancy pants words like bespoke. Stillwater artisanal. I couldn't see it. it was although it's printed on the can right here too on the side. My oh wait a minute. It's not artisanal, is it? Arti I mean, it could be. Artisanal? Stillwater artisanal or artisanal? Because uh uh artisanal wells, it's like where water comes up out of the ground without even having to pump it. Okay. That might be what's going on. Oh, that's there. probably there, yeah. Good word then. Yeah. Yeah. Nice play on words. Alright. Well let's try this bad boy. See how it goes. So thanks for coming on the podcast too. I know we've been trying to set it up for a little while. Yeah. And let's see. It's fun to eventually finally get to see the studio. Yeah. And this is the well now I won't say new now, it's old now, but I had the other one in San Jose. And then once uh my other roommates moved out and then my girlfriend moved in, so I turned the other bedroom into the studio, which saves money and it's cool. I get to keep it local. <laughs> Shrinks the commute. Yeah. All right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. It's hazy looking. It's nice. That is nice. Kind of citrusy. Yeah, a little citrusy. Definitely a lot of floaties. So it looks a little be unfiltered. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on in there. Yeah. So what's what's a little bit of uh, your background? You are from Indiana or Illinois as well? No, or? no I'm East Coast, but uh, okay. I, I uh, grew up in Pennsylvania. Oh, that's right. The Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. That is right. I the forgot boonies. about that. You're pretty much local next to me. Yeah. You are a lot of time. Allent Allentown, Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem, Allentown, yeah. any of that... Um, uh, what do you call it? The uh, Northeast uh, Corridor. Yeah. Is, uh, or Extension. The Lehigh Valley. Lehigh Valley. Yeah, all the Lehigh Valley stuff. Um, yeah. My folks are from Philly. so From Philly? Yeah. You grew up in the Poconos? So you went to high school? Yep. How was that? That's like, it's got to be tiny out there. You know, it's, it was really fortunate. Um, we were like uh, three miles from a public road. Really rural. Mm -hmm. And um, the Pocono Mountain High School serves this really big region that's mostly uh, at the time vacation homes so, so very touristy kind of a thing touristy right? it, so had, not, it had been like the honeymoon capital of the world in the 1950s right with that big ass champagne yeah or what do you call uh, yeah that martini glass <laughs> i think <laughs> it actually it was the champagne flute yeah is that what it was the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the hot tub hot thing? tubs yeah, in yeah. the shape of champagne flutes yeah exactly yeah. that was the big yeah that was definitely on that side of the world, the biggest uh, honeymoon destination. If you mm -hmm. were, you know, going that on the on the the light end, not yeah. flying to you know Hawaii or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, so, but the high school. What the the magic was? They had two or three times as many taxpayers as they had people living there. So it was a very well-to-do school. Really? Yeah, well, it was almost awesome. like a private school. Oh, that's cool. How many kids in the graduating class? Not that many, right? There were 300 in my graduating class. That's, that's decent. Yeah. I mean, I think mine and it was would have been 98, so that was like 1,000. But I was a nerd, and so my senior year, I said, hey, I'd like to take AP German. And they're like, we don't have AP German, but we'll give it to you, so it's one-on-one. -on -one. And I said, I'd so like... So you basically had a, a private tutor for Germany, or yeah. to learn German. And... Uh, for AP Biology, same deal. Same thing. Oh, wow. And AP Physics, 
they gave me my own lab. What? A room with a key. Jeez. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I got really lucky. Yeah, you must have felt pretty privileged on that of just getting like, here's the keys to to a kingdom. You're like, what am I going to do with this place? Yeah. All right. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Who else gets their own uh, locked room in high school? Yeah. So you learned German then, right? I did, although uh, I don't think I ever mastered it. No? Was it just like a, a class or did you go from... I'd been taking it from like middle school onward. So I took a lot of it. Any particular reason you wanted to just go to Germany? You liked it? Different um, language. I'm half German American. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of wanted to go. And I, you know, taking in. a language was really choosing between Spanish, French, and German. I think. Yeah. Or no, actually, back then, back there, so it's East Coast, Cold War, so it's German, yeah. French, or Russian. Well, I could learn Russian too. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think that was ever available. It might have yeah. been for me. I don't know. Well, I was always the same thing. French, German, and Spanish was like the main. And I yeah. took a little bit of Spanish, but I didn't do a lot of it. One of those things. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, the Poconos were awesome. And then, uh, so it must have been, it must have been not a lot of, like, did you have a lot of friends that would like, you, would you guys visit each other? Like, it was just like a far, it, no, it was, it was, it was very spaced out. Right? It was crazy. Like, uh, um, we were in a, a private development, yeah. which a lot of the resort area was. Like someone would buy a big piece of land, then they'd um, make roads and chop up half-acre lots and sell them off. Okay. Um, my parents bought a half-acre lot in the most remote part of Locust Lake Village. And on that block, only four of the lots had a house on them. The rest were all trees. Okay. So the block I lived on was yeah. basically a forest. Yeah, you did. that was it. <laughs> and then even stranger, the road behind our house, the village stopped Yeah. and began uh, thousands of acres of forest, which back there were called uh, Pennsylvania State Game Lands. Okay. So a lot of hunting yep. and a lot of fishing and hunting going on there. Yep. Did you do a lot of it with your dad or no? Uh, I wasn't that into it. My brother was and still is into fishing. Okay. But for me, what was cool is I could go basically out into the forest, climb trees, just yep. be, be, be chill with nature. Yeah, yeah. Observe yeah. everything and animals and, you know, any yeah. kind of random stuff out there. Like yeah, there vegetation. were a lot, a lot of deer. A lot of deer, plant, oh. plants and stuff. Did you, did you do a lot of studying for plants and in uh like that kind of stuff or you know uh my 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 mother and my uncle were kind of into that so i'd learned a, a bit from them mm. but all right that's cool yeah and so then you went to college then right after that from high school and, and did you go overseas or you didn't I yeah i mean it's a long story but the uh you know the arc is i end up in eventually end up in silicon valley working on technology and startups yeah and the kind of the starting point for that is I I went to MIT. Okay. So a preeminent science and engineering yeah. school in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And you also went to Ireland too for a little while, right? Did you go there to live or? Yeah. So I, I uh, you know, would, uh, in my twenties, I did what I encourage everyone to do in their twenties, which is don't just get right on the uh, escalator. Yeah. Take a few detours, figure out 
how the world is and check what, out check out the other scenes the other countries yeah yeah so a tr- little bit of uh experience in there yeah with the last name mccray not surprising that i've got irish you know, some half irish american so traveled there traveled to germany other places in europe yeah and then uh, made a second trip a few years later moving to ireland okay so you were then you were there for a little while right i was, so I was intending to stay for a long time i'd actually uh, gotten Irish citizenship in addition to U.S. citizenship. Oh, okay. So you, do you still have it, or is that I do really? So Which can... means I have an EU passport in addition to an, a U.S. passport. Well, that's awesome. Indeed, so you have you have the golden ticket, man. You have the mm-hmm. Willy Wonka chocolate ticket right there. Exactly. Going back and forth, and Ireland's awesome. So and then and I, and now I kind of uh, joke with uh, in a friendly way with my British friends because of Brexit. They're mm-hmm. going to lose that EU thing. Right. While I well, will you still, still have maintain it. it. Yeah. That's funny. That's very funny. Um, and did you, were you always a huge uh, guy into music growing up and stuff? Where like, you know. Um, it was really co- college years. All of a sudden I got, you know, as. Jumped right in. It was, yeah, I was in a, a, fr- a fraternity. So a bunch of different people who all had these incredible album collections and just discovered a whole bunch of music that I didn't really hear on the radio in right. rural Pennsylvania. Right. Did, what's the what was the radio stations like up there? I know because it was even even back when I was like seventeen, and I was up there. There wasn't a, a really a lot of stuff going on. It was just like very typical, you know, classic rock radio. Well, yeah, and you know, this is far enough back in time that the right. radio stations tended. Um, there, there weren't very many of them, yeah. so they kind of had to serve everybody, which meant they would, they would mix a bunch of different things. Yeah, but they wouldn't get too edgy. Okay, except for maybe, like, um, there were a couple of radio shows that might be on late at night where you could get they, a little edgier. Right, I, I mean, that was always probably the case, right? You, you know, M- even MTV back in the day, they do 120 minutes. Or you know some yeah. ma- some metal stuff, so it was a little bit more edgy or a little rockier, or even more rap. You know, so like di- you know different uh, genres would put on, I guess a little bit more explicit, a yeah. little bit more edgier. I did um, get I did hear something really cool on the radio uh, before I left Pennsylvania. It was uh, must have been New Year's, uh, nineteen seventy nine, going into eighty. Okay, and it was um, David Bowie hosting a show. That was several hours long. That was an intense retrospective on the decade of the seventies. That had to be awesome. It was really awesome, and it actually relates to some of the stuff we were talking about that we'll get to later right, around right. genres and such. Yeah, and so crazy stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you fall in love with a certain artist um, right off the bat, or was it like you know, kind of like? Uh, you heard a couple bands and then you kind of started listening to them and just really got into the genre. Like, what, what, like, were yeah. you like, was rock your first or like punk or? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of grew up on the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, late seventies, um, even in rural Pennsylvania, like disco was a, a, a big thing was that, still a that big took thing, off. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was, it was kind of funny there because, um, uh, in the disco period, the world became very divided. There were people who liked disco and people who hated disco. Yeah. 
And so in my high school, there were those two there camps. Were those divides. Yeah. Did you have Did you have a lot of uh, divides in high school, or was it really just kind of like like jocks, preppy, dorky yeah, well, I mean, kids? We, I think we had so the, the normal the same, ones, the normal ones, but plus. But then the you music air added it like dis, yeah, disco brought in this divisive thing, and the 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 kids who were more obviously into disco yeah. tended to be um, recent uh, arrivals in the Poconos out of New York City. Okay. And often uh, Italian-Americans. Yeah. Well, that's fun. A uh, shout-out to a buddy of mine from then, Arthur Del Buono. He would, uh, he would wear um, the kind of disco outfit Sometimes on a regular day, just like, to school and, and like yeah, or like uh, uh, I I competed on uh, a speech and debate team. Okay, he was on that as well. He had been in a, in Jesuit schools before that, and um, these competitions were often not with other public schools, but mm-hmm. uh, Catholic schools in the northeastern Pennsylvania region. So sometimes the judge would be a nun. And Arthur Del Buono would be wearing a three-piece suit with a disco shirt, uh, very colorful, uh, open deep down to the uh, middle of the chest, showing the chest pubes, showing the know? chest pubes <laughs> with a you know like a gold like a, necklace uh, right. with a, yep. a horn, and you know the at the end you'd get these uh, criticisms of your speaking, and uh, he would often get things like very nice suit, <laughs> you ugly. You're ugly, and your mother ugly, and your sister ugly. You're just plain old ugly. With that kind of suit. Yeah. But I'm sure that was all the rage back then. That was like, when, I mean, when disco kind of came in, that was like fashion, like up, right? That, like, that it, was it fashion. Came, it came in fast. Um, it seemed unlike anything else. And then it didn't last very long. No? Did people burn records? Were yeah. You, were you so, around the, the time of the burning? I think that stuff happened maybe as early as... 79 or 80 what do you think what do you think the cause of that kind of like what was the big what was the big because i can't picture anybody doing that now like burning a whole genre of music and that had to be some yeah. kind of like what what and i wasn't around i mean i was i was just born in 80 so i don't yeah what was the the conflict between that like what was the big problem with with the disco that's a good question i don't think i've ever people, thought about it it yeah i it, don't but it, it is clear that the uh, well, there's something about disco. Um, it being, but people uh, love that shit now. You know what I'm saying? Like they play it at the jukebox all the time. Totally. You know what I mean? It's like I hear it. Radio stations still play it. You know, the jukebox plays it. Like I still see random stuff of like at disco's the, coming back, which is it's basically the old school like dance, right? Dance music. Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, and if you if you. Uh, if you go to any kind of EDM thing now, mm-hmm. um, basically you, you hear the classic '70s disco in it, um, interwoven either sometimes as a full track, but uh, often just samples of that classic disco stuff. Right. So but I think I, at the time it was a little bit like disco's not manly enough for us real rockers. Mm. Like rock, but rock by the mid seventies was starting to get a kind of a we're we're really, tough guys, yeah. Which is kind of weird because that went into the eighties, like so that crossover between like the tough guy rock with like 
but like also David Bowie was so more like glam rock. Yeah, was really picking up, and then the '80s took off glam rock for you know the whole decade. Right. I mean, the yeah, the irony so, is that the they're, the they're glam stuff goes eventually into like heavy metal hair bands, which is they look like girls. Yeah, it's a yeah, a lot manly. less manly than the the guys were in a disco three piece suit. But like D. Schneider too, like beat somebody up because they called him a girl, and he like. <laughs> You know, and he's the tough guy, so he's, like, beating him up, but dressed like a girl wearing makeup. It's like, what do you expect, man? Like, that's... Uh, I, don't, I don't understand. Then they burn disco because it's not manly enough. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, uh, it kind of gets into that... Uh, this topic we were talking about the other day where I'm really curious about genres, mm-hmm. how they come about, and um, how they evolve. Yes. So, yeah. So, let's talk about it. Um we don't have to, st- I mean, we could start a little bit. So, I feel like there's a huge, like, gap between, like, modern day music because of electricity and all that jazz. Yeah. And then before that, you had, like, classical, piano, right? Uh, symphony stuff. Um,. But I think you also had like, you know, Irish. Uh, I don't know how you, what I want to say how, how to describe the like traditional uh, traditional Irish slash fo- folk. folk. Yeah. yeah, into like um, cowboy folk maybe with acoustic guitars and banjos and stuff kind of mix. Yeah, and then and blues I guess kind of started coming in later in the game, which kind of started. So, but let's yeah. back it, let's back it up a track then. So, um, yeah. So I've so I've recently gotten more curious about, um, like to think about it in terms of evolution. Yeah. Uh, the you know, uh, the the famous book on evolution uh, is uh, Origin of Species. So Origin of Genres would be its equivalent, and um, it seems like there's a bunch of different things that affect it. Yeah. And I just started looking at it more, and it, uh, among other things, like by the time I got to college in the '80s, and started falling in love with punk and new wave. Yeah, um, I I kind of looked back on the '70s and thought of the '70s music that I heard on the AM radio, which yeah. was a lot of which, the cheesiest of stuff. Right, that, that was like FM was the you know the new thing back then. I'm sure. In, in the 80s, I had this attitude toward the 70s, which was like, oh man, I'm so glad that decade is behind us. Oh wow! And I now look back and think that the 70s, especially if you count maybe the last couple years of the 60s, mm-hmm. if you take that period, it it seems like that is a unique period in human history. When of all these genres yeah. emerge from the the genre tree that starts with and then blues, really branches and, out. Yeah, yeah, and and then we get all these subgenres happen from that. Yeah, but it's this one period of time, the only period of time where I can see I don't know half a dozen major genres emerge around the same time. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's a big genre explosion, right? And then that kind of gives. Because rock and roll turns into rock, which isn't really that different. But alongside rock, you've got everything from disco that we were talking about to reggae to punk 
Yep. Um, and that's just you know you got you got even probably the birth of hip hop and hip hop by seventy nine and funk. So yep. funk, hip hop, uh, blues and jazz really. So no, I, took so, a different form, I think, too, because blues really is rock and roll. Well, if you if, so, so the way I so I've been researching a little bit, and what's interesting is like blues. Blues has been around for many decades. It certainly goes back before the start of 20th century. Yeah. And it's all down out of the plantations with the slaves. Yeah. So it's it's this American thing that's got African sensibility in it. Which is kind of also something I wanted to add to with the genre explosion stuff too. And I think a lot of it comes... And music in general, and a lot of it came out of poverty, mm-hmm. you know, and having nothing... And they just kind of like started making music, you know, like uh, what's his name, um, like Muddy Waters, like his first guitar or something was a a nail mm. on the side of his his house with like one or two strings, and they still have it. Like when you go down to the the Delta Blues Museum, they have it on the house, and they show like they, oh, cool. they, they kept it a little part, and you can you know walk by and see how it was, and it looks like a sort of a guitar shape kind of thing, but it's just a nail down to another nail woven tightly. And just plucked it. And you can, like, put your finger out, you know, but not, like, frets, like a guitar. Yeah. Just kind of, like, their own little style. But, like, people were making music um, forever. But, like, even if you ever listen to, like, uh, like, like some, some documentaries, you know, watch some random stuff. But, like, like uh, the old African work songs. They're just kind of, like, like, hammering away at something or they're just making stuff. Yeah. A lot of these women... Just sitting around um, making stuff, singing. Or on the chain gangs. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is really awesome. Like, some of that stuff is really emotionally great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I was thinking, you know, a lot of it comes from the poverty and just 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 kind of comes out of people. And then it kind of creates, you know, something else into people to take that and, like you were saying, uh, like, enhance it somehow and then kind of start. It's like the, the explosion, and you start getting these little subgenres like branching off. Yeah, so I think uh, so. I've been looking at it. There seem to be at least two, if not three, kind of factors at play. One of them is technology. Yes. So, so the birth of gu- the yeah. When you guitars. can, when the guitar becomes electric, that opens a bunch of new doors, mm-hmm. and then they have then they run into issues of playing. Like the Beatles stopped playing live. Because the amplification systems couldn't overcome the screaming of the audience. Right. But that gets figured out within the next few years. And all of a sudden, you can now take any sound you can make and, just, and get it to a large audience. Yeah. And, and over, overpower the audience. So you yeah. can't, it drowns out the audience. You can't hear him. Oh, and another genre from that era that emerges is heavy metal. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, right? even, even back then, too, what would be the first sort of... There's probably another band but the first major band would be probably black sabbath right? i was gonna say yeah the, the people generally credit um tail end of the 60s black sabbath led zepp to some degree and um deep purple and deep purple right and deep purple what i recall about them is like they were guinness book of world records for highest number of decibels at a concert so they were among those that cracked that the nut cranking. on how to make a guitar driven sound go super loud ah gotcha yeah so it goes over the crowd 
You want to get that distortion in there to keep the people like. And it's so loud that you m- might make sense to wear earplugs if you don't want to get damaged. But right. Like they crack that nut. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's crazy for that that kind of like what you're creating for us to overpower the crowd. You're like we can't even hear ourselves yeah. play. Yeah, that had to be a random thing that like. Was- and and if you take that uh, thread and continue it like EDM. Yeah. Like, uh, if you're uh, like a Burning Man in the middle of a desert. You can have an amplification system on an art car yep. that completely overwhelms you with a, a feeling of bass that makes your whole body ripple, yeah. but it's so super clean. Yeah. So it's like different than the uh, heavy metal amplification problem. It's how do we amplify bass so intensely that you feel it right. while preserving a clean high-end sound yeah um so so technology is one of these right it's a part of that whole but another one is is geography and influences that cross over like uh, like when you hear something else or see something especially back in the day when there's no internet there's no nothing right right? you have to be there to see it or 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 maybe maybe or maybe your radio uh so like um one of the things that happened in the UK is um, teenagers around the time of uh, when the Beatles and the Rolling Stones were teenagers, they would tune in. I think it was ham radio. They could get sources of radio from, uh, I think it was the Netherlands, where they were playing American blues music. Oh, okay. So you've got all these British guys... Listening, listening to, to Mississippi American... Delta Blues right. and going, whoa, that's blowing my mind. Right. I've got to figure out how to do that. Which is kind of like, you know, Led Zeppelin got their like really totally. authentic sound was a lot of that blues stuff that they were hearing over on the radio. Wow, do, you, do you know who uh, Memphis Minnie is? Memphis Minnie. She, she, no, she, sound. She's a, a, a blues... Uh, singer and guitar player from Tennessee, from Memphis, somewhere down there, and she she has a song "When the Levee Breaks," which mm. Led Zepp ends up doing a cover with some alterations to it. But it's this like it it encapsulates this cross Atlantic, I guess, pollination. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what do you think? What do you think the what, so what what else was the the other the other uh, recipe in there for? I think the third one is probably drugs. So yeah. the, that the late sixties into the seventies like kind of explosion mind- of genres probably yeah. has something to do with uh, a lot more people having access to a lot more different things. So some mind enhancing, yeah, really substance that kind of takes you over to the next level. And of- we know it even if you just look at through the uh, you know the body of work of the first band that i fell in love with the beatles right like, and their they, artwork and they, they, they start out with a very um innocent sound uh then they clearly start smoking weed and then we know they started doing psychedelics and yep. it's pretty obvious album by album right <laughs> the, the transitions yeah. that are underway and the, yeah and they've kind of created like a, a whole they they've they've es- they've they've escalated their sound twisted it made it still happy and very Beatles, but 
Yeah, in a very edgier kind of way, I guess. And at the same time, they were, you know, they're just the evolution of that one band, too. You can see the technology in that. Like, their original recordings, I, I don't know if they start at mono, but they were, you know, stereo two-track. Right. Um, when they decide to stop playing live, they become the first studio band. And they push to four-track recording, eight-track recording doing tape loops and having things go backwards and you know oh yeah all that stuff that that's um that's making the record better you know sounding and a lot of that stuff you can, some of you couldn't do live because you couldn't clean the guitar up that good yeah right and it would be the best sound but you couldn't do it live like you could now which is you know you have everything accessible to you to make a, a perfect sound for a live show even you can fake it right um what do you think was the what do you think the biggest crossover was like coming out of that kind of scene or the, or I'd say maybe the most obscure, I guess. Do you think like that came out of something? Um, well, I've got a good obscure one for you. Uh, it was in the news last week. Um, uh, the rock and roll hall of fame just met, uh, put out the list of nominees for the year. And I don't know what percentage of them end up getting inducted, but obviously some of them don't. Um, on the list, a band I had never heard of. And I've talked with a few people about that, especially my friends who are into music, and say, what do you know about this band? Most people have never heard of them. So nominated this year for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the band. You ready? Yeah. You have a sound effect? Uh, before or after. Hold on. I got it. Go ahead. All right. Nominated this year yeah. is the band MC5. Blowing minds. So. Which I never heard of. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So we'll have fun. Take a guess. Like, who the hell is MC5? So MC5. Um, well, it sounds like a hip-hop artist. Or... Yes, that, it does. That, that's but no, it isn't. It sounds like a dance or a hip hop artist or, or something like that, or a funk band like MC Five, yeah, and the Fabulous or something. So, you know, the Fabulosos, some shit. In fact, if you, as I did, Google them, you find that they are considered to be in the genre proto punk. Proto punk. Proto punk. I'd never heard that word. So is that like before punk? Before, yeah. Is that before Iggy Pop? It's actually right around the same time as Iggy Pop. Okay. It's uh, uh, like four or five white guys in Detroit. Um, Which makes sense. I know they had a big show there. Yep. With uh, Alice Cooper. Oh, is that right? Iggy Pop, Alice Cooper. They used to play... Well, Alice Cooper's from Detroit. But there was a very big show in Detroit around that time that Alice Cooper was talking about with Iggy. And he said that... Well, here's another guy that's, we got to go on after that guy <laughs> kind of a thing. You know, like he was, yeah. you know, just as insane and, and doing crazy, but in a different way, like a different, still rock and roll, but Iggy was out there just going crazy. And he's like, that that guy's a front man right there. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense out of Detroit because I think there was a lot of big um well yeah that's another influence yeah and, and another factor in general even though i i brought up geography in terms of 
cross-pollination. Another factor is just simply uh, geography. When you look at um, all of the genres that have emerged in the last hundred years, the number of cities of the world from which they've emerged, at least if we're talking about Western pop music yeah. that we all know, yeah, it's a really small number of places. Okay. It's New York City. Yep. London. Yep. Um, L.A. D- Detroit is a factor. Detroit is, yeah. Um, I would say New Orleans. New Orleans. So, yeah. So, with New Orleans uh, is the birthplace of jazz, yep. of course. Um, and... And then Mississippi is the Mississ- the birthplace of blues. Yeah, right? the Mississippi Delta blues, and then the then it went up to Chicago. Exactly. So every city has its own flavor of blues: Chicago, St. Louis. Because there was some kind of um, uh, there was some kind of flood or some kind of yes. When the levee broke, yes, that song is about a catastrophic flood that they all marched that caused and tens moved. of thousands. Yeah, this. That sets a migration, which brings the Delta Blues to, to Chicago. Yes. And yeah, they did the whole walk. They walked all the way to Chicago, and then they set up camp for some of that. And then mm-hmm. that was some more of the birthplace of the northern style, like, uh, fuck, who was that guy's name? Um, who was the main blues guy up there? Uh, is that B.B. King? Maybe B.B. No. King style. Maybe that's, yeah. that might It might not be him, but I, I think know. it is him. B.B. King, I think there's somebody else. But yes, you got people on the move. Yeah. uh, Bringing uh, a sound to a place. Yeah. You've got... Which they didn't even... uh, And and they they didn't capture it authentically, which they did, but it was a different style, right? Because you got the Southern Blues and the Northern Blues. And, you know, when when you listen to B.B. King, and no disrespect to B.B. King, but he's awesome... And his yeah, he has a club that I went to in Memphis. I visited one of his clubs. It was super cool, very like more like happy go lucky blues, like upbeat a little mm. bit more. It was like I wasn't sad when I was listening to it. Right, put it that way. The southern stuff is real downer when you listen to some of that. Like you know, what I mean, it's like you know, we're on the train. It's hard, yeah, it's driven from heartache. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is amazing stuff. I mean, in both ways. But just this total different, like, feel to it. You know what I mean? Like, so there you take the same exact thing. You march people up north. You got a whole new style of blues. Yep. And then uh, uh, you see the same thing when folks in London. Yeah, exactly. Here or Liverpool or whatever. They hear yep. um, Mississippi Delta blues. They try to replicate it, but they're also trying to invent on top of it yeah so it becomes a a different thing yeah definitely um which is crazy about even like the rock and roll and rock and roll has a lot so or i wouldn't say rock and roll i'll say rock right Mm -hmm. because that kind of births super big styles of rocks you know you know got metal punk rock you know glam rock uh acid rock now you got a thousand folk rock you got tons of rock that's like not exactly rock and roll, but it's something like alternative about it. Yeah. And then they got then they got to really split genres now, where they're like, well, technically it's not alternative; it's more of like, and they're they're really trying to pinpoint down with these sub genres up to sum up the sound of the band. Yep. Which 
you know, Nirvana wasn't grunge. Nirvana is punk rock. Nirvana, somebody created a genre for Nirvana called grunge because they're like, I don't know what the hell this is. Yeah. It's punk rock. What do you mean you don't know what this is? Well, yeah, I think when I first started looking at this, I, I kind of assumed that uh, genre names were yeah. kind of organic, as in they bubbled up from the people who make the music. Yes. And I think that happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, jazz probably is an example of that. I'm not yeah. entirely sure. But it's also clear that there's a class of genre names that are from the man, the industry. The industry for sure. Yeah. I've got Somebody, two, two, two oh, yeah. good examples. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> um, one is R&B. R&B. Rhythm and blues. Yep. Billboard magazine coined that term in 1941 to replace prior term of art race music really african-american recordings were all lumped under race music and were not thought to be mainstream big dollar thing and they said well what if we package this as r&b and then we can bring it to a broader audience so that we can sell it it more sell more and not considered racial the other one is, uh, as I've gotten more and more into EDM, I've always thought, wow, there's so many different genres of EDM or subgenres. Yeah. How did they come about? And it's actually quite the opposite. The sub, what we think of today as subgenres, yeah, emerged due to geographic things. So techno and house are in. Detroit and Chicago, or Chicago and Detroit, and uh, dubstep, I think, is in London, and one of them's in Berlin, and... Right. And then what's the other one in Germany that they create? Trance. Trance. And then at some point, the music industry, saying, hey, you know, we got all these different little things, and they're all kind of associated with rave culture. Yeah. What if we package them under a consumer-friendly umbrella of electronic dance music? So it's yeah. a it's a really fabricated genre. That definitely is a fabricated genre there. That like it's a it's a it's an interesting thing when those genres like like I said they were like they kind of like branch out and they they really just get away from each other. But it's all very similar. Like I said even bringing it back to disco. I mean it honestly it makes you do the same the same yeah. stuff. You know and and the disco era they were doing coke you know, a little bit more probably uppers than they were like. Right, they're staying out all night clubbing. Yeah, it's kind of like let's keep partying and dancing. EDM seems to me to be almost the same thing, but they want to say, well, okay, we do want to stay out all night dancing, but we also want to trip a little bit more. So there's where we take mm. and and start mix. You want know, bringing drugs back in? They want to mix the two and make it a psychedelic upper, mm. right? And then they want to keep the party. Keep the hallucinogens, the visuals, and and bring you know. So the disco comes in and you're like, all right, well, let's up the disco too because we can make that better. So I can now tie a bunch of these threads back together. Um, while in the Poconos, listening to the radio, mm-hmm. and David Bowie is honoring the cusp of the decade from the '70s to the '80s. Okay, he's telling tales of things and he is the first person i heard 
mention the name of the band Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk, which is German, German. Dusseldorf fathers of electronic music. Mm. So we could do, we can go deep dive on that. And we yeah. probably should. Yeah. Um, but, but what's bizarre is he says Donna Summer spent the, spent time in Germany and got turned on to this new electronic music. And it's that in part that gives rise to disco. Oh, okay. So she she kind of, well, she was into it yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. Now, I haven't researched this, so I might be misremembering things just okay. a while ago. But there's clearly a tie between the earliest of electronic music and mm-hmm. it. the creation of synthesizers is essential for the development of disco. Yeah. So they're the first genre that breaks out using synthesizers. And uh, it's a very different sound than the guitar-driven heavy rock of the 70s. Right. And that thread just keeps going. But if you like uh, see interviews with guys who were in that band, one of the things they say is, you know, we saw what everyone else was, was doing in music, and we're in Germany, and there's nothing in our... DNA or cultural makeup that makes us feel like we should be learning the Mississippi Delta blues. Right. We should be creating something new. Because you're in a different world, basically. You know, it's post-war Germany. Yeah. And so to have um, technology-driven music, which essentially electronic music is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Which. And there's always that person, like you said, um, Donna Summers or, you know, whoever that was, you take a, a mild or maybe whatever kind of celebrity and they almost adopt something that they like, that they're into new and it kind of like also, so that people have more access, right? And then, so they're like, oh, like, uh, what's, was it Blondie that did like the mm-hmm. first rap song that became popular? Oh, I don't know of that. It was like the first, she became like the first rap, it was like one of those, I think it was Blondie. The uh, the the start of hip-hop and rap is like, most people point to like uh, Sugar Hill Gang, 1979. Yeah, and like Cool in the Gang, right? Cool, or is that same? No, that's more, more 80s? disco, right? More discos, Cool in the Gang, oh yeah, alright, Cool in the Gang, disco, and then, but like, she had like one of the first, well I think it maybe it was the that her song was the the first rap song in the charts mm. is what I'm, maybe I'm thinking. And it was in the eighties. So it wasn't like the birth of it or anything, yeah. but it was like, it gave a crossover. It gave the mainstream. So yeah. like, what is this? And it's a white girl rapping, which is kind of like, I, I, I want to say it's Blondie, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but it's something like that where you take, well, yeah. You, so yeah, this, this, this notion of crossover too. So like, yeah, um, rock and roll right. you is really her. a cr- crossover because um, uh, rock and roll as a genre, you know, very much Elvis Presley, yep. you know, uh, well, I, guess I take it back. I was going to say, because some of the early guys too were black guys like Chuck, Chuck. Well, Perry. I'm going to say that and I'm going to go. But on. in general, it's a it, well, cultural gonna... appropriation is too strong a term for it, but it's a lot of it was, 
um, white guys with guitars playing stuff that um, African Americans were playing. Like Hound Dog is a great example. Oh, of that. yeah, totally. I'm going to say that even, I'll go on record saying that music would never be anywhere where it is if it wasn't for African Americans. Right. They, and I say they as, you know, not not in a bad way in a in a such a a broad spectrum of a group of people who definitely back in the day were oppressed that created sound like that and and it's it kind of went in a weird well, way. almost all of the genres we mentioned everything are are african american based every single one of them well the the exceptions are the electronic music, which draws out of an explicitly non-Mississippi Delta blues origin. Right. And it probably still and, had some influence, though. Oh, no, for sure. All of these yeah. things influenced each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then um, uh, I saw this, uh, read this thing. I forget whether it was in the Atlantic or Vanity Fair. It was all about um, uh, like progressive art rock of the 70s. Okay. And it was like, they described it as the whitest music ever. <laughs> Because it was it was uh, it was um, mostly British guys playing rock, completely. Uh, if you took if, if you took the blues and and um, dissected it out of it, yeah. So they were looking more back toward like Mozart and Bach and classical for well, that's the kinda... structures, and you get this really thick, weird. Oh, it's kind of like. Where I go with white people and black people as different when they create music is that, you know, a lot of black people have awesome fucking rhythm. They have really great rhythm and they, they're they very free-flowing kind of with their stuff. White people kind of mathematically did it like... It's all about timing. It's like one, two, three, four, five, you know, and then... But, you know, African-Americans just kind of really just let it flow out of them and it's like... Wow, this is way better than, like, it's got soul, it's got feel. You know, there's this whole other, they're putting their heart into a lot of things that white people were just kind of like, let me steal that rhythm and make it my own. And you're like, dude, you're playing it wrong. It doesn't sound right when you play it. Why does it sound better when he plays it? It's because you got no rhythm. Right. And it's, no and, it's strokes. and it's clear that that, um, that rhythm the dance of music uh-huh it's a universal it's a human thing yeah totally I, so i think what we're what my 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 guess on what that is is that um euro culture um a little bit more straight-laced prim and proper yeah kind of def- narrows the set of things very that up, are ex- very uptight yeah, kind of a dance. If we're dancing, it's like yeah, you go back to not. the the waltzes yeah, and it's stuff. Like, it's, it's a very stillness to it, right? It's got rules that yeah, are yeah. that are about more about thou shalt not than about then letting loose. Yeah, right. And let it like waving in, using all your limbs and joints, and you know, just looking crazy on the dance floor, which yeah. is that. Yeah, definitely. That's kind so of it's where a, it's, it's the it's the one part of the population has this universal thing beaten out of them. Yes. And another part of the population, though downtrodden, has not allowed that to be beaten out of them in any way. Yeah. And so with these crossovers that occur, because it's got to get out. 
Yes. People need access to the universal. Yes. The universal is music with intense energy, rhythm, yeah, and everything dance. Is, yeah, everything is an enhancement, too. Like music, right, is just, it's another feeling. It's an emotion. To up, it's an upper. It's kind of like a drug. You know, you listen to it. It's, it's ear candy. You're, oh, what is that? It, you know, dancing is the same way. In movement, it's like, wow, that was really, that was made my body do different things, you know? Yeah. So, and that kind of as, or, uh, aspect of, of genres and, you know, going from a very classical stiff to like a very like loosened up kind of beat, you know, we're like, that's different. Yeah. You to know? like, you know, put it like in a good example as, you know, Elvis Presley is performing on the Ed Sullivan show and he's playing music that right. has inspirations from the other part of the culture and yeah. he's embodying that free expression and because he's moving in the way he's moving they put a black rectangular box over so his that hips. you can't see his hips in motion ah, i didn't know they did that I, that was a reference in uh forrest gump you know when, oh, when yeah. they're walking by the store and they see elvis because they were they you know elvis had stayed yeah, at yeah. their house and then he's like start shaking his hips like yes, he, he's like this is for not. This is not for children's eyes. And it like moves them aside, and like that must have been why they, when they put the, the the triangle over her top, so they wouldn't see his hips move like that. Uh, yeah, Main, so that just, mainstream white America was not ready, apparently ready to process that, or they were, but the 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 corporate entity well, that was putting it on the air was not. They were like, "Is this allowed? Can we do that?" Yeah, uh, maybe not. I don't know. And then the Rolling Stones come on, and they're not allowed to say, "Let's spend the night together." Can't even say that. Wow, no. that's crazy. I mean, that was yeah. That's bef- that's before the Doors when they weren't yeah. allowed to say get high, and that's yeah. pushing the envelope. Yeah, I felt like they're there because when did the Rolling Stones? Fifties? No, they're sixties. Sixties. Yep. So that decade really, I think the sixties pushed a lot of envelopes. Totally. Of what was ex- um, accessible, uh, what was allowed, and then what was not allowed, and censorship. I feel like the FCC really had a field day, like, and they had their homework put out for them during that decade, because it was like, can we show this? Is that allowed? I don't know if that's allowed or not. Yeah. And you know, and then you know, when Jim Morrison was on the Ed, Ed Sullivan, I think same, and he was like, you have to take out the lyric higher. It's like, girl. Oh. We couldn't get much better. It's like, no, you got, you can't say higher. You can't say higher. So say get better. And he's like, and what's funny too is that he's like, he kept it, it in. It's also yeah, it's also the era of live television, so they're, they can, they can ask someone to not do it, but, but he might just not, do it. Yeah, which is what Jim Morrison did. He's yeah. like, Fine, fuck that. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say whatever I want to say. So so let's uh, dive in that. Like that period of time is really interesting because you've got uh, rock and roll emerges as an American thing. It's it it you can trace it from the Delta blues into and I'm gonna say yeah because it was from jazz and blues that gave that guitar and rhythm sound and although I'm just not exactly sure where who the first rock like who decided like but it's clear it's the 1950s well actually maybe not though because it was a, a, yeah so maybe Chuck Berry or something like that right. Because he was more right. He kind of took a... But it seems to happen all within a few years. All of a sudden... It was like... Yeah. Yeah, it was fast. Yeah. Um, and and over on the other side of the ocean 
in the UK. In the UK, yep. Um, there's this new book that I, I'm, I'll, I'll be that guy who'll talk about a book I haven't read yet. That's okay. But I got the top line. Of, about it, yeah. Bill, yeah, Billy Bragg's got a new book oh, out. Oh, that's right. We were talking about that before. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what led us to this. I think was right, the, right, that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, great uh, folk rocker Billy Bragg, kind of punkish. Um, yep. He's got a new book mm-hmm. out on the importance of a genre that most Americans have never heard of. Skiffle. Skiffle. Skiffle's this post-war England-only genre that I don't even know, like, none of us know Skiffle songs. And, or like, any bands. Yeah. Or... And in fact, like, the one of the most influential Skiffle performers was just taking an American song and playing it, and it made a radio chart hit. It was like the, was it the Rock Island Line? Oh. Anyway. All right. But it introduces a generation to the transformative power of a guitar. Okay. So this hit causes the sales of guitars in England to go from like 300 to 3,000 or, I don't know. So there was a huge number spike. All of a sudden, guitars are popular and people are thinking, I can start a band. And, and it, it's these, the teenagers, um, in the post-war years, they're the first ones who are not living under rations. Mm. Teenagers start to have spending money so they can, they can buy a guitar maybe. Right. Or if a band forms, they can pay to see them play. Um, if the, if they produce a record, they can buy the 45 vinyl record and that causes an explosion in You've got the Beatles, you've got the Rolling Stones, and the yeah thousand others that may not be remembered as well. All from this thing Out called of the, Skrillet. Skiffle. Skiffle. Yeah, so the Skrillet. <laughs> yeah, like Skiffle Band might have a, a wash tub bass. Gotcha. Um, and a guitar. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very much like we've we've heard of some stuff over in america so kind of like southern rock southern blues oh rock yeah almost like country-ish washboard too. country yeah. like yeah yeah anything it, to make a sound but but together with like hearing delta blues and american recordings on the radio you get this explosion in rock and roll bands in the uk yeah who then through the through the beatles in particular the beatles uh, perform live on Ed Sullivan's show, and and the lid comes off. Right. All of a sudden, like that is rock and roll, and every, that's what we need to play. Every teenage boy in America I is thinking, I, I should get a fucking guitar. Yeah. How many girls are in that audience? Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. screaming. I yeah. gotta get a I gotta guitar. get myself a guitar. And so that British wave, British invasion, they call it British yeah, wave, yeah, totally uh, causes a whole nother wave of American bands. Right, and, and and leads to this explosion of of genres and styles, which and starts to sub in the, like you said before, right around the end of the '60s, beginning of the '70s. That's where they all kind of started creating their own little sub genre. Like, well, I'll probably classify those guys as not like these guys, and you know, even though they're from the same era, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's it's also like uh, pop culture. Yeah. As a result of um, television and radio, like all of a sudden, what the stuff that's happening, it can happen 
more places in the world too. Yes, yeah, so you got a lot more people or a lot more places popping up that so, weren't on the map. So you know, like Detroit probably wasn't on the map at that time, and all of a sudden they were like, "Wow!" Right. But I'm thinking even more like go south, go down to Jamaica. Yeah, oh totally. So, so in Jamaica, you've got we got ska. You know, yep. And I was talking with, uh, this weekend with some folks about this topic, and I was talking about ska, and they're like. Oh yeah, I love ska. I was I was listening to that the whole, like throughout the eighties. I'm like, that's not ska. The eighties ska is like more like reggae, in- English beat, and and stuff. That's um, an intentionally retro reference to the golden age of ska, which is pre reggae Jamaican music, like island style. It's it, yeah, and it's and it's and it's um. It's, it's like, like easy it's, listening. But it's like, yeah. Have you seen photos of Bob Marley in the yes. ska phase? Yeah. Wearing a thin lapel suit, yep. skinny tie, yep. super tight haircut. Yep. It's like, ah, uh, you know. It's, yeah, it's, very, it's, very yeah. slow, easy listening island music, like, you know, with the, the steel drum. Yeah. <laughs> but by the late 60s, they've got electric guitars in their hands. Yeah. And now they're doing the. And they, they yeah, a whole new thing emerges. Yeah. Yeah. And then they got this whole other like adding more rhythm, adding more feeling, and then just yeah. and it, and and they and they produce a, a completely Jamaican sound. It's yeah. a, it's a it's a boom new genre. Boom new genre, which is awesome. And then they took that, made it into rock as well. And even in the eighties, they did it with the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and some of the other uh, people that started to do it too, which turns into ska punk. Yeah, which is horn sections with. You know, fast upbeats and very similar stuff to that, but just a little bit extra. All right, so I got another good one for you. All right, this is uh, uh, more around birth of punk, mm-hmm. but also uh, cr- transatlantic stuff. So we talked earlier about MC Five. Yeah, yeah. Who knows how all this? You know, from that to later, how that changed. Yeah, but but something was happening in around seventy five. And it seemed to be happening somewhat independently in New York and in London. And punk will emerge through this incredible battle, (laughs) independent and cross pollination. Yeah. And it's uh, the band is the Ramones. Yep. And uh, in New York City, it's the club CBGBs. And there's a bunch of punkish bands performing there the ramones end up performing there lots and lots of times they've distilled rock down to this raw fast and short thing yeah their songs are super short and their whole act might be over in 17 minutes yes which was awesome (laughs) it's my favorite thing it's like damn that show was quick (laughs) whoa what what just happened yeah (laughs) and and somehow or another, someone figures out, let's take the Ramones over and do a live show in London. And I don't think it was, I don't know if it was a commercial success. I don't think the audience was super large. No, but there were some key players. Exactly. In that audience. And I read with a drink with Shane McGowan. Or, uh, yeah, it's so, in his book. Yeah. So, so in the audience yeah. that night. Uh, the f- folks who would be the Sex Pistols, the Clash, the Pogues, Susie and the Banshees, yep, and probably three or four probably, others. Yeah, probably others 
which are all at that one show. And some of them might have already been playing, some of them not yet. Yep. But they all walked away with a much greater inspiration and confidence. Like we're, that's, that's what we're doing. Three to four people, even if they don't yet know how to play instruments, can figure it out. Yeah, because it's simple. And that's what they're like, wow, we don't have to be huge rock and roll metalheads or like doing crazy solos, which were right. around that time. You know, great guitar players of that time. They're like... We don't have to do that. What if we can tap into raw energy and yeah, go? Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of like that. In my, you know, music for me and, and for uh, probably a lot of people that that seems to be the wave of the decades of up and down. Kind of like I'd like nothing more than a metal ass solo that just goes, you know, just forever. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm really bored with like this flashy guitar. And a band like Nirvana comes out, and you're like, wow, that's raw. Yeah. So it's like the raw punk energy of the 90s that you well, know, popped out. And I said, you know, when in the 80s, I was kind of cringing about the 70s. And it, it turns out I was, there were some cringe worthy things that were going on. That's an rock would, decade. Yeah. But rock was getting really, um, it would, it would, part of it was going down this progressive art rock sludge. Yeah. Part of it was, you know, if you go to a rock performance in the 70s, there might be a, you know, like a, five minute drum solo yeah like that who does that anymore like right exactly i love percussion yeah but the the drum that, solo that neil, that neil pert uh yeah 20 minute drum solo is not a thing anymore you're like yeah all right it's been five minutes shut was, the fuck up already was that designed to give people a chance to go buy a beer or yeah, take maybe. a leak maybe mm. it's like that maybe that's their intermission mm. could be yeah drum solo bathroom break <laughs> yeah Ten minutes is still going on. We got time for the next song. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, actually, we'll 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 take a break uh, for round two. Hey, could you do a drum solo while we take a break? Can I? I don't know if I could do a drum solo. I could do this. That's a wolf out. <laughs> we'll be back for round two. So stay tuned. Oh, this this beer that we had there was the field work, uh, Bloomsday Indian Pale Ale, seven percent. So it's a mm. single, but it was pretty tasty. Very it's tasty. A little bit more clarity, like a like a West Coast IPA. Oh, yeah. So, all back right. We'll, to the West Coast. Yeah, I like it. All right, we'll be back with round two, so stay tuned. All right. All right, we're going to take a little musical break. Uh, this is a song by Marshall Railroad. It's called Our Time in the Sun. It's about the fall of the band's pr- previous that we were in. It's kind of a summing up of uh, becoming acoustic in a sort of way when we started this this that, that actual project and that actual record with actually not a full band we just to start we just decided to start doing just an acoustic flat you know ba- bare bones record and uh this is what it it came out and this was one of the first songs we wrote on it um it's about all those you know like i said all those previous you know relationships with bands you know kind of falling apart and you know, if it was all worth it or not, or however it turned out. Anyway, this is that song called Our Time in the Sun.
all we've ever been Faster that the songs got played Faster the time went And all the shows we played Felt like no one ever came It's hard to sell tickets when The show is 40 miles away Like I'm driving again My heart is in the right place My friends all want the end No rehearsal today Cause everyone here just got lame Why the hell do I even care They're only gonna quit again Yesterday, and think about anything that makes it go away. But it's kinda hard when your dreams are stripped away. Maybe playing in those bands with my friends was a mistake. My friend John McRae. Yo. We're talking music and we're having a good time drinking some good beers. Hope you guys are enjoying yourself out there. Maybe doing the same, just chilling out on your porch or in your backyard or driving in your car or whatever the hell you do. Alright, so I'll grab one of the other beers too, but back to what we were talking about and some other stuff. Yeah, so we, 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 we kind of covered a couple different uh, transatlantic cross-pollinations. Yeah. You got the British 
invasion spawns a bunch of American stuff, and eventually yep. that kind of leads to Ramones going over to England and yep. helping spawn a punk thing. A big, and, yeah, big explosion in punk rock. Yeah. Especially from The Clash, The Pogues, uh, and The Sex Pistols, those being some very, very influential bands of the time, even of that time. Yeah. Whether who was first or not, you know, the Ramones or however. But the Ramones definitely were the key to that explosion. And they're a band that, uh, you know, I guess they've eventually received credit in mainstream media, but they didn't didn't actually make a shit ton of money. They toured for like 20-some years. Didn't make but shit. But they never really cracked the big charts and didn't make the big bucks. I think that goes for a lot of art. Yeah. You know, where it might be after you're dead that you get recognized. That's true. Actually, the, some of the most influential uh, bands didn't necessarily get big success. Yeah. And that's kind of like... Uh, you're a pioneer right, of something it's like and even the one we talked earlier mc5 like they, yeah. they were gone after like one album and right was anybody even alive when they got um into the hall of fame well so they're still just nominated and strangely enough like two of the guys died in their early 40s uh. so i don't even know if they were to get in i'm not sure who's there to who's around the, to actually collect prize, anything yeah which is kind of strange i mean that's like that's such a weird thing um, or not weird, because we also live in this world where people get royalties for their art now. You know, right. on a pretty good, uh, I would say, you know, anywhere from, you know, uh, the 80s up till now, even the 70s, you know, with Elvis. So maybe from Elvis, you know, we're, we're making pretty good royalties with their art, you know, like, you know, Buying cars, buying houses, buying, yeah. you know, going out to fancy dinners, you know, with the glam rock thing, you know, you know, Ozzy making, you know, tons of money, blah, 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 you know, and it goes on, the list goes on and on as people uh, get wealth. But the pioneer people who are the ones who are in the back of the seat and the backbone that you're not listening to at the time, but get recognized later. And you're like, I should have been listening to that. And why wasn't I? It's like, you know what I mean? And they're not making their riches. So it's like, you know, a band that's struggling for 20 years on the road, one of the most influential bands of all time, and getting paid like 300 bucks a night or something like that, you know? Yeah. They're not, they're not getting their their uh, their uh, actual recognition for what they deserve. <laughs> you know? Nice. <laughs> well, it's also funny, too, if you step back and, you know, part of what we're doing today is talking about how music changes over time. Music business changed a lot too. And this, yes. this period that when all these genres emerged, the 60s, 70s period, is also kind of a special peak for the business. The business of music because everyone's buying records. Mm-hmm. But go back far enough in time, like before records, the, the, the business model might be to sell sheet music. Yes. Well, how do you, how do you feel about vinyl? What's your take on vinyl? Oh, I've had mixed feelings about it. Um, I can tell you that I'm, as you know from earlier, that I'm old enough to have lived through the vinyl, yep, cassette, CD transition and streaming, of course. Now, mm-hmm. um, I grab can t- one more beer, but keep talking. Sure, why not? So. Uh, so uh, listeners who want to hear an old man talk might find it interesting that um, 
when when I was in college, what we would do is we would buy vinyl and the first thing we would do is record it to cassette. Okay, so that's what I have to ask you too. Because I was going to get into that. I want to get into a little bit. Let's yeah. a little bit of tackle for that. For cassette, A-track. But A-track, you couldn't record. No, it, no, no. no. Right? So we're A-track talking, is just... Yeah, we're talking the... Tape uh, cassette. Yeah, ca- cassette so, tape that's uh, 90 minutes aside. Okay, so what you're saying is the first is thing... It? So what the first thing you did when you bought vinyl is you reconverted it. Yeah. So, okay. So, so the, you get so the, you the brand new album uh-huh. that you're so excited about. You unwrap it. You put it down on the turntable and you try to get a perfect recording of it onto cassette and that does a couple things for you uh one it means you can now put the vinyl aside and it's kind of it's going to be good to go it won't ever be worn as a result of playing right it has its it has its purpose it's kind of archival at that point it's archived yeah yeah it's Um, now i can play it and now i can with the cassette i can listen to the whole album which is what we did back then often um, as a singular piece of art without having to get up in the middle and flip the record. Yes. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Like I can hear the whole thing. No, and not worry. Like, am am I going to skip? It's going to skip. Am I going to have to get my pillow, my head off the pillow, walk over and flip it? Right. So that that's that era is that Yeah, so I'm very I'm very uh into this topic. It's oh, that's nice. Yeah, this is the Faction Diverge mm-hmm. IPA. And I love everything Faction does. They, they yeah. do a fantastic job. This is seven seven percent. This is from, you know, um Alameda. Um Faction Brewing Company. I still not have yet gone there, but I need to mm. make my way up there. Um, Maybe a live show there. Yeah, that'd be great because they have like an airstrip kind of a thing going on. It's like a lot of space. So they could probably do tons of cool things. I could see that. Yeah, it'd be fun. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So we got vinyl, A-tracks, tapes. We're going to stick to those three for the moment. Okay. And now that vinyl's back mm-hmm. and people are really collecting vinyl, I like the sound of vinyl, don't get me wrong. The sound quality is great. It I agree. It sounds cool. Um, to me, it's just not um, excess. It's just not oh, the word I'm looking for, like logical. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. And for a couple of reasons, because number one, now, I mean, as a teenager, right, or or a a kid, of course you're in your room, right, you know, and you want to be by yourself spinning that record, and you can, and sometimes, you know, you're... Or maybe maybe your friends are over, and you're looking at the artwork while you're spinning the vinyl. Yeah, and you're talking about it, too, so you're talking about that. Um, But you can't, you barely can take it anywhere. You can't take it in your car. You know, it's it skips like you said. You got to flip it over. It's not when you want to get into a zone, and you just want to kind of trip out and listen to music. You got to flip it up, so you got to get out of your uncomfortable position. You got to like it's. There's a lot of really crappy things you got to do 
with vinyl to make it awesome. You yeah. And, nobody and, anymore just puts on a vinyl record and sits around with a glass of wine and be like, yeah, check out the new Bad Religion CD. It's so eloquently uh like nobody says that shit like you know yeah. and it's and that's the shit coming in vinyl it's like all punk rock is like very classic vinyl different colors you know they're really getting into the vinyl or oh, is that right yeah i think it's stupid for, yeah. and for those I reasons think, I, I think it's uh it's not accessible it's kind of pretentious because what am i going to do the same thing you just said i'm going to convert it to cd or i'm going to take the download code Get the, yeah, get 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 it digital. Yeah, and, I'm gonna yeah. get a digital now since we're in that era. Put it on, put it in my car. But what I still love is CDs, and I still love them. Yeah, because I can still collect, still put it in my car. And now the the anti skip movement is way past us, and I don't have to bounce you know over a bump and hit the anti skip. Why the goddamn CD player? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. that kind of stuff. It, that just makes perfect sense to me. Well, it's, it's funny because I've got all my CDs, but I almost never use them. Yes, definitely. But just drove up to the Sierra foothills and back. And whenever I've got a long drive, I go looking and I pick a handful of CDs and and I'm back. And, and the beauty of that is that you honor the album. Yes. You listen to the from whole the beginning record. to the end and you have what the artist wanted you to have it's a feeling it's it's you know what that's the thing about digital that you can't capture either because people are like i made a playlist so you're listening to well, you got playlists you've got um quote unquote radio stations on the yep. streaming stations. services yep streaming which i app. love all that stuff it's just it's so um it's almost well you know in general it's human, a mixtape hum- it's a mixtape which i love so human but humans are like we're so multitasking now yeah that we're we feel like, it seems like we're losing our ability to enjoy a thing end to end yes and that's what a uh, album whether it's on vinyl or cd or cassette that like being able to listen from the beginning song to the end song and get inside the mind of the creator yes i agree with that <laughs> completely That's that's what I agree with is that albums and there's not a lot of people anymore just listening to albums. A lot of the kids these days are like, I like that song. Nah, that's it. You know, like I've heard that song. They don't really dig. Even when I was a kid and I heard a song on MTV or something and that was kind of my, you know, because I didn't have Internet. So it was like television was a thing and it was if i was watching mtv mm-hmm. if i was watching 120 minutes or something like that and I, I saw a song i was like oh that's a great song what was the band's name i gotta find out more about that band so i'd go to the record store and then i'd look for the tape because tapes were big when i was in so you know i was looking you know through tapes like oh metallica this metallica that guns and roses this and that and that and that's how i found nirvana and i was like that's one of the best songs I ever heard in my life. And I was like 11 when that came out. And then me and my friend bought the whole album and the album was the best album of all time. It's just, that, it's like that. And it's, it was intended to listen to the whole record, you know, the whole yeah. album, the whole thing. And and there was a, back then because albums were the business and the people were creating albums with a kind of mindfulness. Yeah. Um, when you would, get a new one you would know you know there's already one song on here that i love yeah but i don't know anything else on it mm-hmm. 
And I know that the first time I listen to it, it's I probably won't, not going to be the same. I won't know. Me and my friend have that uh, back and forth all the time about, you know, falling in love with albums and other songs. We always have this back and forth thing too. It's like, it's like we at least got two to three songs that were like, yeah, we're into it. And he's like, and then we'll go back and forth and be like, okay, the new, you know, No Effects album came out, right? And we're like, okay, what did you think? Nah, I got to listen to it about 10 more times. Okay, I'll give you 10 more times next week. Because, you know, it's always in your car. Every time I bought a new album and it was a CD, when I was able to drive, I had a CD player finally right in my car. Yep. And I would, I would just be always in there rotating, like the whole album constantly for at least the week. And I'd be like, all right, you listen to it again? He's like, yeah, dude, listen to track seven, listen to track 14, and check, yes, out, check yeah. out these tracks. Those are such good songs. I'm like, okay. And Austin, I'd be like, okay, well, you need to pay attention to track two. Yeah, absolutely. And four. And that's how you like. I'm like, this track fucking kills. Being able to discover for yeah. your friends yeah. and say, no, I've already done the listening. Yep. You must, you must pay. And so, and like, that check give, this track out. And yeah. then that gives, helps to give rise to what you mentioned earlier, which is the mixed tape. Yes. So and cassette like, era mixtape thing was a is an art form, and that's still I feel like it it could be that way, and it still kind of is on a digital platform, but it's not the same. No, but it's like because you took time to like, you know, making a mixtape is is a difficult task. Moving files over is not this ain't shit. You know well, what I mean? Especially if you're willing to go to the deep end of the pool. Oh, exactly. Which is a, a funkiness of cassette uh, recorders is that the playhead and the record head are separated by several millimeters, maybe even a centimeter. As a result, you can play around and sort of like when you hit record, uh-huh. if you anticipate, you can get a crossfade. Oh, really? It's not exactly a crossfade, but, but you can get close. two signals yes. at the same time. Sounding like someone used a mixer to make to A make go into in. B. Hence the mixtape. So I got I got really good at that. Yeah. And that's fun. Especially yeah. if you, you know, make your friends a mixtape, your girlfriend or whoever. And you got some obscure shit on there. They're like, so, they're like what was song number five? Because that thing was fucking awesome. So you, as you can imagine, at some point along the way, my large collection of cassette tapes became completely uninteresting to me of course yeah and how so, it is. so because some, now fast forwarding rewinding stopping all that stuff is a pain in the ass well and when, also the, the, so the, now, the cd is clearly superior so now cd and you can also make a mixed cd yes um not but, the crossfade, but not the same but here's what i did but in the same sense. when i got rid of all my cassette recordings of albums yeah i kept all of my mixtapes. So in a very small box, I've got my you got mix, the mix tapes, and I just about two months ago started uh, digitizing them. That's fun. That's super cool. Yeah. Because I did some weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. I did, uh, tying back to German, I have a mixtape called Ich habe das Radio on, which is poor German for I have the radio on. Nice. And so it's a, it has a bunch of... Uh, new wave punk songs but the but and those are okay but they're not what's interesting what's interesting is i was taking fm radio 
and turning the dial. Yeah. And I was capturing what would be called found sound, like weird, so you're doing bad the, stuff. So you're doing the signal. So yeah, that. And then it's and and then it goes in and then it goes into some song that's ter- like might be on a gospel um, station in Boston. Okay. Back to the cross, I'm calling. And then, and then kick into the regular song that you actually meant it. Yeah. Clever, dude. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, that's even a better uh, a better style of mixing than I think that like a lot of us are we're just going to like record, stop, play. Yeah. You know, I, sometimes I might throw in like where you can put a piece of tape. Or actually, you didn't have to at this time. If you're making the mixtape, you just record, and you can record your voice because the boombox or whatever have it a mic, and oh. you're like, so here, and you'd be the DJ, like, so here's the next song, blah, 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 going to go right into the Ramones, and you, like, kick it in like you're the DJ, you know, like you're a host of a radio station. I think that was the fun about mixing the making those mixtapes. Yeah. But I would also do things like uh, in Boston, uh, Kenmore Square, there was a, re- a used record store called Nuggets. Mm. This place was phenomenal. I discovered so much music there. But I'd also go into the crazy bins. Yeah. Like instructional. Yeah. Or, uh, so like, I, I have, uh, I have an album called, uh, Secrets of Self Defense. Okay. It's a 1950s, uh, martial arts instruction album. <laughs> From a from from a Chuck from, Norris is on this from, shit from an ex marine <laughs> okay in Detroit. <laughs> what was so what did that what did that entail? What was on that? Like what did it sound like? Just like like uh, uh, people blink with a pattern. If you anticipate that a man will punch you in the face, first observe his pattern of blinking. He may. Uh, <laughs> You know. So you'd you'd splice that into the into the mixtape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I kind of did something similar, uh, but it I wasn't it wasn't the uh, you know it was like a maybe like a um, uh, uh, a holiday uh, like Halloween tape, and I would take this little uh, Halloween, yeah. and he'd be like, "Welcome to the Monster Mash, and we're going to do this," and I'd put something else after it. Then you know what I mean? So I'd take out, you know, I'd cut it up and make it not the Monster Mash, but it'd be. We're gonna go into the monster match, and it would start off, and I'd quickly go into something else, like a punk beat or something. And it would like totally, totally mix the songs up. But yeah, something very similar to that. But it's super fun. Cassette mixtape is an art form. It definitely is, and it obviously had its period of time. Um, but you know, if you embraced it, it was really cool. And what I did like about tapes that you know, even though it was a pain in the ass, and I hated it from fast forwarding and stopping and all that shit it it's not meant for that right right it's meant to be played out oh yeah so i i would roll out a new mixtape and just let it to ride. a circle of friends yeah let it ride and they knew basically yeah john's in control of the audio landscape and let's see where he's going to take us yeah let it ride so i had one tape i think i still have it that starts with like a Rolling Stone by Dylan. Okay. Then goes a bunch of different places. And Jimi Hendrix version of Like a Rolling Stone is in the middle of the tape. That's fun. Okay. And yeah. and, and at some point people are like, 
didn't it? Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, and then it ends with uh, a version of Like a Rolling Stone by the band Spirit. Okay. Yeah. A really yeah, heard... psychedelic band from yeah. the late 60s. Yeah, and it's a much longer before. version. And it, and like, by the time you get there, like, you feel like you've been on this incredible journey and you're like, what? I, this, I, this song. I, this, I'm inhabiting this song. So, kind of to bring it full circle before we wrap things yeah. up here, um, what did that kind of goes into the new DJing, right? Mm, yeah. With EDM and DJing. Do you think they are doing it as good as a mixtape? Or do you think that they could be adding some better things and making it a real journey? Yeah. No, to I the think. End? So, I definitely think. There's amazing stuff being done. Uh, but I have, I think, the, the same kind of gut feel or intuition. I I, I long... Because you've been the Burning Man and you've yeah, seen a lot of things yeah. like that. I, I, would, I, would, I want to challenge myself mm-hmm. to go there, which is to say, I think if you take all of the best of EDM and add to it in the ways that I was doing in the 80s with radically different sources. Splicing the Kung Fu instructor stuff with dial tones. Yeah. um, TV signal sounds. Like, I think uh, creating sound and holding that platform and making it one long journey with the visuals of a big teleprompter or big screen behind you. You ever go to those shows where they make, and this has been around for a little while and I've seen a a few of them that was pretty, I like the way they do it. They take like old television and old cartoons and they make a a collaboration of film and then just put it to music Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. I think that's kind of similar on the reverse end of a mixtape, reverse videotape. You know, you get the static, you get the weird wavy lines, you get the the old cartoons, the black and whites of like doo, doo, yep. kind of thing, you know, when the you know, cats and stuff. I think that would be a real killer show with like the mixtape vibe and that vibe and to be able to like sync rhythm to it and like make it flow like nobody's business. You know what Whoa. I mean? Oh, hey. Joe, you know what? I think that would be an experience. I think it might be more than an experience. You know what? What? That could be a new genre. It could be a new genre. In a weird way. Right? It might not be a genre. Well, it could, it could no, be. No, if you take it far enough. Yeah. Right? If you... if you So if you if it, if it's spliced onto it, like if you're creating music or sounds... You're building the music, maybe yeah. informed with all the sensibilities of EDM. Yeah. But with a much more um, constructing from found sound and going on a voyage. Yeah. I think that's where I could be taken into consideration of like, I might be, me- I just, I might be mesmerized and just being like blown away by like that exact vibe. And, and personally, like my relationship with music over time um 
And it goes a little bit back to that 70s question of rock versus disco. Yeah. They're radically different. Rock is the blues tradition and electronic music is 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 it's a very disco-y because it disco-y technical um almost explicitly anti-blues it's and, on an upbeat yeah and i love both of them and i've always loved when there's like funky crossovers of them well, it's like when happy and sad meet each other you know like, yeah. what's supposed to happen at some point like i was listening on the drive home from sierra foothills yeah. to an album i haven't listened to in god probably more than 10 years uh, a new order Okay, yeah. It's on CD. Yeah. And I had recently seen, was thinking about genres and stuff, that um, that one of their songs uses, ver- in fact, the whole back end is powered by samples from Kraftwerk's uh, Europe Endless from the album Mon Machine. Okay. But I hadn't listened to the track since learning that information. And as I was driving, I was like, Oh, holy shit. This song that I loved in the 80s, I never realized that all of that synthesizer stuff was sampled from this 70s song from this album I loved. Right. And what they're doing different is New Order's got that, and then they're putting guitar and drums on top of it. So they're blending it right in bringing together yeah i never realized what was going on no it took me a little while to figure out a bunch of samples i was like is that sample or is that something new that they're doing and then uh it took me a little while to figure out like how people were sampling and mixing and And i I saw new order live the tail end of the 80s in portland oregon oh that was probably awesome it was, but at the time, I wasn't quite ready to receive what was going on. What was on. going on, yeah. And so I, I, I did have the thought, almost like they were lip syncing, because yeah. I didn't realize what they were doing, that some of the very important sounds were being explicitly looped from samples, and you couldn't see anyone playing them right exactly. and i thought what the hell is like, like what the fuck is going on here yeah. yeah and yeah in hindsight oh now i get it <laughs> now I get, yeah no I think, yeah that makes sense i always do the same thing where i'm like not seeing people like i'm like who's playing this shit or now it's like and that's why i think now you know with with me it's like djs and and edm it's like people just play through their laptop and just send a signal yeah. but if it's a good experience i'd be into it yeah right so it's it's about that. I think what and and what I'm kind of saying is that if it's like that mixtape, and it's like a feeling of me enjoying the party because the party's the album, and you want to be a part of that album, and if you're at a live show and you're you know whatever the recipe is, it doesn't matter. Whatever the recipe you've got going on between you, and then the recipe you've got going on with the crowd, and you got the you know the the mixtape vibe of like you know. It takes you through a journey. I'm down. Well, even like uh, I've mentioned Kraftwerk a few times, uh, maybe a close to closing thought, which is I wouldn't let I can't imagine anyone else getting away with what they do as their final finale. I've seen them perform probably three times live. Um, Yeah. But their whole stick is that they want to be at the boundary of man and machine. Yes. And so it's four dudes with laptops 
doing twiddling of things and it produces this incredible soundscape and it has a kind of a flow and a narrative. But the very last time the song they play is Robots. Okay. Which is, we are the robots. We are the robots. And instead of coming out on stage and performing at laptops, yeah. they send out four robots that have their faces. Oh, that's cool. And they and they're just doing the dance. Yeah, and it's like it, it's like performance art. It's like, oh wait a minute. Like, all right. That that is the ultimate extreme yes. of blurring the line between man and machine. And yeah. all right, I get it. No, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like performance art and that kind of thing, and that's a good example of, of good performance art. But one of my favorite live things is the polar opposite of that. It's something you and I both love, the Pogues, that mm-hmm. Irish folk punk thing. It's one of my favorite things of all time. And Shane McGowan and those guys just, with the raw Irish punk folk vibe that they had, really... Uh, created this vibe that I don't think a lot of genres, in my opinion, ever could capture. Yeah, I, like it's a it's a wonderful it's a it's a mashup. Yeah, it's a very Irish folk punk boom boom, and they did it so well. And I saw them in Boston, might have been eighty nine, and uh, Phil Chevron, the guitarist, was battling cancer at the time, so he couldn't join for the tour. Yeah, so they had a substitute on guitar. Joe Strummer. <laughs> what a substitute. Jesus yeah. Christ. That is a substitute right there. Yeah. That's so they, awesome. So they did uh, uh, London Calling and I Fought the Law. That's awesome. And boom. Boom. I mean, that 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 probably would have been the greatest show. I, I, haven't got, I never got to see the Pogues because I was, wasn't old enough at the time. Yeah. And when, when it finally came full circle, uh, I think Shane McGowan had stopped touring yeah. altogether. Uh, but... Uh, I but in between there, I picked up Flogging Molly, mm. which Flogging Molly never saw them live. I've seen them about three or four times. When I I saw them the first time at the Warp Tour in two thousand one, uh, I was I was just getting my ticket to get in, uh, in getting into the Warp Tour. You know, ten thousand people, whoever there. I like got into the gate, and I heard the sound. I was like, "What is that?" And I immediately went straight to the stage. I didn't give. I didn't, it was like I knew what bands I was there to see, and you know you get a schedule. Yeah. And I did not care. I went straight to the front row between like five thousand people. I just walked. You know, I moved my way through the crowd, and I was right at the front row. And I was like, "Who is this band?" And it was like one of the best shows. I've, I was like, "I got to follow them and see them." And in fact, I'm seeing them on Saturday. Because I'm going to the Punk and Trublick oh, nice. show up in Concord. And funny thing is, today I got a call from this radio station, Live 105, that I won two free tickets. Nice. And I, and I already have tickets, but, you know, I'm not going to tell them that. <laughs> but I, I just won two free tickets to go. And it was just this weird energy today that I got. And I was like, all right. But Flogging Mile is going to be there, and it's one of the greatest Irish bands. And they do some of the Pogues feeling, mm-hmm. and they do some of the songs. Sometimes they'll, they'll do they'll throw in a song here or there. But it's the same exact feeling with that punk, Irish, you know, that perfect blend. And they're like, if you don't have a Guinness in your hand, fuck you. Like, you know, like that kind of shit. It's the best. So, 
Well, all right, John, it was a good time. Indeed, you know, uh, it's pretty clear that the, this is a topic that could go on. Dude, we, we could talk forever, and that's the thing about the podcast. It's like you don't realize how long you keep talking. <laughs> what time is it? I got to go. Yo. Yeah, that was, that was a bit of time, yeah. Um, well, we, on, yeah. we only covered like a century or so of music. So. Yeah, that's it. We yeah. got tons more to talk about, you know, and detailed. We, cut, we tried to get vague and like, you know, get all the, the topics in there, but there's so much to always talk about. So you're welcome back anytime, man. You want to come back and we'll talk more music, talk, you know, virtual reality. I know you got tons of stuff always going on. I'm sure probably at a later date you'll be able to discuss the ups and the downs and maybe what didn't go right, what went right with, with some virtuals as, you know, opposed to whatever's going on in the scene. I don't know. I'm not Absolutely. in that world. So. But cool, man. Yeah, this All is right. awesome. Hey, thank you for coming on, dude. Cheers, Thanks, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Cheers to the Pogues. To the Pogues. See you guys around. Later. All right, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in. I'm kind of in a rush here, so I'm just, you know, it's it, it might sound rushed too. So some of my intros, the music, and I was picking it very fast. Um, uh, I'm going to the Punk and Drublick Fest in Concord, so I got to get a lot of stuff packed and everything ready to go. Plus, I'm doing a po- another podcast right now in about you know an hour. So I'm trying to get this one out there because this one was on Monday. Uh, so I'm trying to get that out into the world. Um, before I put this one up, the, the one that I'm doing today, I'll put out next week, um, probably, uh, probably by Tuesday, give or take, something like that. Um, yeah, sorry that it was rushed, um, but yeah, I won't do an Easter egg after this ending here, so don't you don't have to listen to the whole thing. Uh, but I just want to say thanks to Palo Alto. I want to thanks the Rosencrown in Palo Alto. Um, El Arsenal, San Carlos, Jane's Beer Store, Mountain View, and Menlo Park, um, Willow's Market. Super cool places to get beer. Super cool places to hang out. I hang out there. I get beer there. Uh, they don't sponsor me. Um, I, you know, just giving, giving back into the world because those are places I like and I hang, I work, you know, I do all those things. So, uh, hope you guys have a great weekend and stay safe out there. All right, late. Thank you.